Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, oh, Caleb says we're allowed to take my mask off if I'm, when I'm speaking. Actually, someone once told me I had a great face for radio, so it might have been better if I kept it on, but there you are. We, uh, just, I look forward to uh, one of the things we said last week, too, was that this week just passed was Life Group Appreciation Week. So I look forward to hearing some stories about how the Life Group leaders have, uh, have experienced the appreciation of the uh, of the folks in their groups, but um, that'll come later. This morning, um, I just wanted to you know, a common childhood experience that uh, a lot of us, uh, a lot of people have been left scarred by, is when they've been standing in line with all the other kids and teams are being picked, and they've been hoping and praying that you would be spared the humiliation of being last and being seen as a liability rather than an asset to the team. So the good news is that in the church, everyone has a valuable contribution to make. Everyone has a part to play. That's the theme that we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue with our series, One Body, looking at what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. Last Sunday, uh, Caleb kicked off the series by looking at how everyone is connected. This morning, my title is Everyone Gets to Serve. Ephesians 4.16 says that from him, that's Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, just for a few moments, Think about your own body. Not that you ever do that. You might, you might not feel like it, but your, your body is actually incredible. In fact, if you've got someone sitting next to you right now, why don't you turn to them and say, you have an incredible body. <laughs> Remember, I can see you. So, for example, let me just give you a few examples of how this works. Since I started speaking, approximately 50 million cells in your body have died and been replaced by new ones, and you didn't feel a thing. If you laid all the blood vessels in your body end to end, they would circle the equator four times. When you frown, you use an average of 43 muscles in your face, but it only takes 17 muscles to smile. So smile more and save energy. But to function as effectively as it does, your body requires all the different parts to work as one. They're not in competition with each other. They're not trying to be something that they're not. We could say that all the parts serve each other. And each part is vital to the health of the whole body, including the parts that you're not even aware of. It even turns out that the appendix, which for a long time was thought to be unnecessary, may serve as a kind of safe house for beneficial bacteria that help to strengthen your immune system. So maybe this morning you feel like it wouldn't make any difference to the body if you were removed. That is absolutely not true. Each of us has a part to play in the body of Christ, and no part is any less important than any other part. All of the parts are interdependent. 
and whatever affects one part affects the whole body. And the head of the body, of course, is Jesus. The church is his body. It's from him, from him, that the body derives its life, its identity, its purpose. It's from him that the grace flows to each part of the body, enabling us to, to do what he has assigned us to do. That applies to, to each of us to get the point. There, is, there are no exceptions. Everyone gets to serve. So with that in mind, I want to pose four questions this morning. Firstly, why do we serve? Where do we serve? How do I serve? And finally, what's in it for me? So first of all, then, why do I serve? As Caleb showed us last week, it starts with love. The whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. But who or what is the primary object of our love? I think Mother Teresa summed it up beautifully when she said, when we serve, we do it to Jesus, we do it for Jesus, we do it with Jesus. So when our love for him is expressed in serving other people, then it becomes part of our worship. Worship isn't just about singing songs. It's partly bringing our service to one another in his name. It's important that we say that because in reality, people are motivated to do what they do for, for all kinds of different reasons. For example, I used to imagine that all the top sports people must have become as good as they are because they really love their sport. But it turns out that isn't the case at all. Uh, Andre Agassi, one of the, the great all-time tennis champions, stunned the world when he stated in his autobiography in 2009 that he hated tennis. He, apparently, he'd hated it since his father first put a tennis racket in his hand as a young boy. He described playing tennis as torture and the tennis court as his prison. You know, I've, I've heard people describe their ministry in similar terms. Listen, we all have bad days, but if your sphere of service starts to feel like a form of torture or a prison to you, that is a flashing red light. You really do need to pull over before some real damage happens. God is not a slave driver. There's a, another athlete, we're probably all familiar with this, Eric Liddell. He put it really well. He was the Olympic uh, runner portrayed in the film Chariots of Fire, and he famously said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When we do what God has wired us for, it just it feels right. There's a, there's a joy in it. There's a satisfaction in it. You see, the problem for Andre Agassi, it was all about trying to win the approval of a demanding father. Happily, you and I don't have to do that. You already have your father's approval. Already he delights in you. You have nothing to prove. There is nothing that you can do that could cause God to love you any more than he already does. So we serve not in order to be accepted or to win approval, either God's approval or people's approval, not because we're driven to achieve something or to make a difference, not because we need to be needed, if you're serving for any of those kind of reasons, then sooner or later, 
it's going to end in tears. I, I know this from experience. If you're familiar with the Enneagram temperament thing, I come out as a, a type three achiever. In my younger days, I was kind of driven by the desire to continually do more, to do it better. After about eight years in full-time ministry, I just hit a wall. Mercifully, the Lord took hold of me, and over a period of time, I came to understand that I'm loved, not because of how well I perform, but simply for who I am, because I'm a child of God. Now, listen, we all have different tendencies that, that come into play, influencing how we go about things. If we will recognize them for what they are, that will help to keep you serving for the right reason as part of how you glorify God and enjoy him. So, secondly, where do I serve? The answer is, wherever you are. That, that doesn't mean that you're never off duty, that you never get any time to yourself. It's saying that it isn't, it's, it isn't a list of things that you do. It's not a compartment of your life that, oh yeah, that's my thing, that's where I do my, my serving. It's a way of life that applies to whatever, you know, whatever your circumstances are. Every Tuesday morning in the, the Gateway staff get together for an hour just to kind of catch up with each other and pray. A few weeks ago, hallelujah, we escaped from planet Zoom and we have been enjoying meeting together in person in the center, socially distanced, of course. A couple of weeks ago, Jenny shared what I thought was a great insight from the well-known passage in Isaiah where the prophet has an awesome encounter with God and he hears God asking the question, whom shall I send? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. Jenny's point was that when we put the emphasis on the word here rather than the word I, it just kind of throws a different light on things because here is, is where I am. As right now, it's, it's these circumstances in which I find myself. And you know, for a lot of us, here uh, might not feel like a great place just at the present time. So many of our plans have been kiboshed by coronavirus. We've had to go without activities that we enjoy, uh, relationships that we hold dear, work that provides purpose and routine to our lives. It's been harder for a lot of us to engage positively with the world around us. As a church, many of the ministries we serve in have been put on hold. But these words of Isaiah are a statement not just about your location, they're also a statement about our vocation. Wherever this, whatever the circumstances we are in, we are called to serve. We are called to be a blessing to those around us. And you know, it's, it's easy to see the restrictions and limitations of the circumstances that many of us in, but what opportunities might there be? Not just to serve those who are part of the church, but to serve the wider communities that we are a part of. I, you know, if ever there was a time that calls for the church to step forward and bring hope and good news, surely, surely this is it. So that brings me to the third question. How do I serve? Again, last week, Caleb encouraged us to ask each day, how can I show one person today that they are known and loved by God? That's a great question to begin with every day. 
And you know, there are many different ways that the Spirit might prompt us to go about that. It might be words that affirm and encourage, or an offer of practical help, an invitation, a gift. But whatever it is, serve is an action word. It involves saying something, doing something. But if you want your words and actions to truly bless people and bring glory to God, then there are some things that will help. So let me just quickly flag up only three. There are probably a lot more, but three is enough to be going on with. First of all, stay close to Jesus. Don't allow the you know, the work of the Lord to take precedence over the Lord of the work. Stay connected to him. Let his life be in you. And that way, irrespective of what you do, you yourself are a gift to the body. Your primary contribution to the body of Christ is not what you do, but who you are in relationship with, with him, with Jesus, and also in relationship with one another. Everything else, in a sense, flows from that. Not what you do, but who you are. Secondly, learn to see people. You know, I read recently that the members of the Zulu tribe greet one another not by saying, Hiya, you're right, or something like that, but by saying, <laughs> sorry, I've just alienated about half the congregation here. <laughs> They say, Saubona, which literally means, I see you, meaning, I notice you. You're important to me. You matter to me. And you know, so often we don't really see the people around us. It's like they just form the backdrop to our lives. They're like extras in a film in which you have the starring role. Hebrews 10.24 says this, in the New King James Version, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Usually we understand this verse to be about how we can stir other people up. You know, the, the, the New International Version says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good works. But I like the King James Version, the New King James, because it starts with the person. Consider one another in order how to stir up love and good works. And as I read this, I thought, you know, maybe this isn't as much about how we stir up other people. Maybe it's about how we stir up love in ourselves. Because as we consider someone, as we notice someone, as we give thought to their circumstances, as we pray for them, as we ask God how we might bless them, we find that God's love is stirring in our hearts. And that is a great context in which to do the third thing then that helps us to serve effectively. That we desire and put to use the gifts of the Spirit. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are vital to the healthy functioning of the body. 1 Peter 4 uh, verse 10 says that each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There's that phrase again. Each of you, each one. This is all-inclusive. There are no exceptions. You know, you'll find 
about around about 20 gifts of the Spirit referred to in the three main passages that deal with them in the New Testament. Some of them are more, more obviously supernatural, like tongues, prophecy, healing. Others are less obviously supernatural, like maybe the gift of teaching or the gift of administration. But the reality is that all the gifts are given to God's people by the Holy Spirit. They are all expressions of God's grace. They're not rewards for good behavior. They're not ornaments to sit in our trophy cabinet. They're more like power tools that enable us to serve people effectively. And you know, I tend to see the various lists of gifts as descriptive rather than prescriptive. Each gift will be expressed differently through different individuals according to their temperament, their experience, the things that they feel stirred up about, and so on and so forth. You know, there are various gift inventories that you can do to help you identify your gifts, but personally, I think we can overanalyze this whole thing. The important thing is to have a heart to serve and to bless people. You don't need to wait for a special prompting to do that. And over time, it will become apparent what your gifts are. The important thing is that whatever we do is an expression of God's grace. The gifts of the Spirit enable you to express His grace to others in a way that serves and blesses them and builds up the body. And you know, I, I just, I am so grateful to God for the ways that I have been blessed over the years by people putting to use the gifts of the Spirit. So finally, we have looked at why we serve, where we serve, and how we serve. So finally, what is in it for me? You know, I know that we're maybe not supposed to ask that question, so, so don't go shouting about this. But, but actually, serving is really good for you. It really is. Some years ago, I remember I was having a bad day, or two, or three, and feeling a bit sorry for myself. And I said to this friend, someone who knew me well, who'd known me for quite a long time, I was kind of going on about, you know, I've put so much into this, and I just, I can't see that it's made any difference. And they came back and said, yeah, but it's made a difference to you. <laughs> I think what they meant was that I had changed for the better, but maybe I should go back and check that with them. But, you know, I never forgot that. That was a word of wisdom. And what that showed me was that serving is at least as much for our sake as it is for the sake of those that we serve. Serving is one of the practices through which God works in our lives in order to develop godliness, which means we become just a little bit more like Jesus through serving. 1 Timothy 4 Verse 8 says this, that physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. In his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, which I heartily recommend if you haven't read it, Richard Foster says that nothing disciplines the desires of the flesh like service, and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh, like serving in hiddenness, not trumpeting what you're doing. The flesh, by the way, is just the name that the Bible gives to the sin nature 
that is there in all of us. So serving makes us more like Jesus, and that is of great value both in this life and in the life to come. And that's worth knowing because in the world's eyes, being a servant makes you a loser. Uh, Being successful means having other people serving you. And God's kingdom turns that completely upside down. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And you know, at the Last Supper, John 13, we read about this, after he had washed the feet of the disciples, which in itself was a, an outrageous, a remarkable thing to do. Imagine the CEO of a multinational corporation making tea for the office cleaners. That's how, you know, just a radical thing this was to do. No wonder the disciples were flabbergasted. And Jesus says to them, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is how things work in God's kingdom. The king is the servant of all, and as we do what he does, we become like him. And that's a wonderful thing. So let's be honest. There is a cost in serving. We might even call it a sacrifice. But of course, it is nothing compared to the sacrifice that he made for us. And yes, it involves work. You know, there are times when we'd much rather put our feet up and watch TV. But when we serve, God is working in us and through us. I love the thing that Paul said. He said, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Someone once put it this way. He said, without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. I think that sums it up. Without God, we can't. But without us, God won't. Not not because he's determined to make sure we do our share of the work. Not because his love for us depends on us stepping up. But because he wants us to be blessed and to be a blessing. And his good pleasure is to involve his beloved sons and daughters in the happy enterprise of building his church and redeeming the world. We are his church. We are the hope on earth. Let's just take a moment to pray and then back over to the band. Father, I want to thank you this morning that we get to serve. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us what that looks like. Thank you that you give us your spirit to enable us to become like you, to do what you do and become like you are. Lord, I, I want to thank you for the many expressions of that grace that I've seen in this church and have been blessed by personally. Lord, I, I want to pray that, that we will be responsive as a church to your leading in this unusual time in which we find ourselves, that we may be truly a servant community, not just to one another, but to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.